0: Kids Church, those who are in primary school age. So this morning we continue our series in the book of Daniel that we started uh, a couple of weeks ago. Titled this morning, I Dreamed a dream, the dream, from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 23, and this is part 3 in our series. So we are dealing with the, king, the king's first dream and uh just to, if you don't know what a dream is uh, let me give you what the wikipedia definition of a dream is a dream is a succession of images ideas emotions and sensations that usually occur involuntarily in the mind during certain stages of sleep humans spend about 2 hours dreaming per night and each dream lasts around minutes although the dreamer may perceive the dream as being much longer than this my um, late mother she was a believer and she also dreamt a lot and and she had an amazing memory because she remembered her, her dreams and she would often ring me in the morning to tell me all about it Some dreams were disturbing, some were great dreams and whether they were good or bad she would tell me and I would say, mum, it's only a dream. And indeed, in our experience we know that some dreams are good, some are bad and and then sometimes you feel relieved that it was only a dream and other dreams you just want them to continue. Oh, why did I have to wake up? Thing with me, the thing with me is that I rarely remember my dreams, whether they were good or bad. So, i just get on with life. But in Daniel chapter 2, we read important truths about, about world history from God's point of view. History is about the past. But here, we read about future history. Futurists attempt to do the same and they base it on past trends and current trends and they sort of work out a picture of what it's going to be like in the future. But what we read in this chapter is not produced by secular futurists and researchers. This is biblical prophecy. Thousands of years later, People are so amazed at how accurate it's proven that many uh, liberal scholars believe that Daniel was written after and not before these historical events unfolded. Now, a detail worth mentioning here is that from chapter 2 verse 4 until the end of chapter 7 of Daniel, the whole of the original text is in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. And when the, the exiles eventually do return, they take the Aramaic language with them. And Jesus himself would speak in Aramaic or, or a dialect of, of Aramaic. Now, this detail might not seem important to you, but it actually, the fact that it was written in, Daniel is written both Hebrew and Aramaic, adds to the authenticity of the biblical text. that why would somebody who wrote so many years later, after the events unfolded here, why would they be writing in two languages? They would have just written in the one. It's another nail in the coffin of those who want to take away from the, from the Word of God, right? So this, this, this chapter paints a panorama that begins 600 years before the birth of Christ and stretches across all the centuries since then and it it moves into an unknown future of Christ's return to set up his kingdom on earth. Now, With all that is happening around us, many, many believers are obviously wondering if we are indeed living in the last days. Many of us are hoping that that is true. Thankfully, the the God who controls history is the same God who has redeemed us and called us as his own. And he has told us in his word, in advance, what he will do with his own and with the world. And it was Jesus who told his disciples and he's telling us, he's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, you believe also in me. This should give us comfort, despite what is happening in the world, despite all the, the crazy stuff that is happening. People of God are to be people of faith, are to be people who, who trust. We don't despair because our Heavenly Father cares for us. Nothing is outside the realm of his sovereignty. So let's look at our passage and uh, we start with the troubled king from verses 1 to 3. Of the troubled king. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him about what he had dreamed. And when they came and stood before the king, He said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Nebuchadnezzar gets more attention in the Bible than any other pagan king. And there is good reason for that. He was a master and a genius in many areas. He was good at what he did. Apart from being a great military leader, he was an educator, an academic, an architect. An amazing man who was at the pinnacle of success and human glory. The Assyrians have been wiped out. The Egyptians have been decimated. The Babylonians put an end to the the reign of the Egyptians that lasted for thousands of years. And never really recovered, despite Cleopatra and all of that. The northern land of Israel has already been taken into captivity and they would not return. Judah was now the southern kingdom of Judah was now in the process of dissolution. And Nebuchadnezzar was basking in his glory. And from the the vantage point of ruling the known world as he knew it, he should have been feeling pretty good about himself. But as he went to sleep, God was going to shake things up and unsettle him a little bit, as God tends to do. Now, notice the the plural here in verse 1. He had several dreams. It wasn't just one. And, and apparently these dreams were so alarming because they, they seemed to follow a certain theme. And remember how I told you in the first definition we, we tend to have different dreams at night. But all of these followed a pattern. And he was unable. He wasn't, he couldn't go back. To sort of, he was unsettled. How many times has this been proven true with us as well. And that we the ladders that we climb, the the higher rank that we aim for, the the wealth that we think is going to finally once we get that we'll be able to settle down and just relax. We aim for all that, but there is no guarantee of peace. People who have gotten to the top will tell you that. Many times, in fact, they do the opposite. Money, power, fame, they cannot calm a troubled soul. And you see their lives being just being torn apart all over the newspapers, in the news, in the media and all of these and this happened and that happened and and somehow the rest of the world is, is just captivated by the destruction of these lives. It's interesting that in our language, dreams are also synonymous with ambitions and aspirations. Maybe as a younger man, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a prince, his father was actually the the one who started conquering and then Nebuchadnezzar just, you know, reached even higher. Maybe as a younger man, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams of conquering the world one day. And now that he has, it's somewhat ironic that I, that he can't sleep. I thought of a of a song from Les misérables from uh, from the, the play from the the, the novel and sent to musical and all of that and and uh, this song was sung by susan boyle in her first appearance on britain's got talent and uh, you might remember the the clip of the time so this is the first verse of Of uh, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream in time gone by, when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die, I prayed that God would be forgiving. And the last verse I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Let me repeat that last verse. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. I wonder how many can relate to those words. Though Nebuchadnezzar was the mightiest in the world, he could not sleep. So he gathers the so-called experts on dreams, the sorcerers, the enchanters, the magicians, the astrologers, the hangers-on and everybody. He commands them, get this, to tell him not just the interpretation, not just to give him the interpretation, but to also tell him the dream that he had. Now, according to the King James Bible, the text says that he forgot the dream. But according to the, the NIV and other translations, it's, he withheld it deliberately to test the interpreters. So whether it's one or the other, we don't know. And I suppose if he did reveal the dream, then he, it would be left as a matter of interpretation between all, all the gurus, all the experts. And since the dream was not about something immediate, but we'll find fulfillment deep in history, deep into history then who will know whether it was important or not whether it was relevant to him or or even true but this dream was too important it wasn't just something personal to him but a sweeping revelation of history his dream reveals the destiny of the rise and fall of great world empires. For, for this reason, the, the dream was too important to be a matter of discussion and opinion or to be given over to debate and different interpretations. It's much too important for that. So the diviners faced this unprecedented and impossible task in discovering both the dream. And what it meant, the interpretation. Furthermore, I don't know whether he picked up on this or not, but the prophetic dream was not given to a prophet of God who were the normal ways that God revealed his plans, right? But he was given to a pagan king who destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and to captive God's people. He was an enemy, as far as the people were concerned. Now, God obviously had, had done this before. He, he did it with, with Pharaoh. He gave him a dream, and then Joseph goes and interprets the dream for Pharaoh, which it was about the drought that was coming, and then Joseph became an administrator, second in command and they made a plan for the seven years of providence or, you know, of plenty and the seven years of drought. Yes, God could have given the dream to Daniel or through Daniel, the the revelation and and then he would have to try and and get an audience with Nebuchadnezzar, the, the emperor, to to talk about it. Listen, king, I had a dream. Oh, really? Who cares, right? How, how would whatever this, this little puny, you know, Jew, go and talk to the, try and get an audience with the emperor, how, how would that, you know, who are you again? How would he trouble his mind? So God chooses to give it directly to Nebuchadnezzar, young Nebuchadnezzar, unsettle him and set him on this desperate search for an answer even when he had forgotten most of the dream. I know that many of us in our lives can sort of relate to this. In, in, I don't know what your story is. That we think we know it all, we think we we got it all together, and somebody comes and, and says to us, you know, God has a plan for your life. He died for you on the cross. He's He's given Himself for you, and and says you don't want to listen. You're not prepared. You're not, you know, life is too good, and suddenly through the trials of life, through the circumstances, things just fall apart and suddenly God's got your attention. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you haven't. But either way, God uses the the circumstances in our lives to shake us up. They are the, the, the trials. They are the... The loudspeakers, God is screaming. You need to listen. Maybe you're here this morning in, in that circumstance. Maybe you, you can hear God speaking to you, shaking you up. God will use, he's got many tools in his toolbox, right? He has many different ways to reach us. And that's the way he's been dealing with the insignificant, so-called insignificant people. And mind you, in God's economy, there's nobody insignificant. From emperors to slaves, that's the way He's been dealing. Because in front of Him, we're all sinners in need of redemption. Now we go to troubling times from verses 10 to 13. Troubling times. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king. However great and mighty has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. And and this made the, the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Though Nebuchadnezzar was the mightiest on the earth, he was helpless to understand his own dream. And as we know from politics and from history, whenever there is trouble and instability at the top, you can be assured that the rest of the land and its people will suffer the consequences as well, including believers. And so everybody came together with all of their wise scholarship, the occultists, the spiritualists, the astrologers, the diviners. They all got together. Uh, And and they tried to figure out what to do with this impossible situation. And, And the Babylonians studied dreams. They actually try to figure out some scientific way of what dreams meant. They, they were the experts. They wrote books about it. So they, they come up with dream manuals and that, that are covered every, every eventuality and they would spend time looking through to find out all these little parts and pieces that do, to put the guy's, somebody's dream and try and figure it out. But the problem was that they didn't know his dream because he either forgot them or he wouldn't tell them. He withheld it from them. If you figured out how the world, the media, the press, whenever something happens, we we give so much credence to the so-called experts Happens every time. When they, I think deep down inside, they have little idea themselves. But because they've studied in a certain field and suddenly they're supposed to be the, the people that we turn to the talking heads. The twin towers come down. Who's on the screen? The experts. A pandemic breaks out. Who's on the screen? The experts. Financial crisis happens, we call the experts. Because we don't know God and we, maybe we don't want God in our lives, whenever something happens in our world, the best thing we can do, the best thing the world knows how to do is to put the brain trust together and try and figure it out. We watch them on the news making their statements and telling us of their plans and solutions. They could be way off mark but at least they give us some some relief like a Panadol so that we can sleep at night. But this crisis here exposed the futility of the world in the things that matter most. It reveals the true condition of the human heart that apart from God, We're lost. In their stupidity, right? In their stupidity, they were right. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. The only place you could get that information is from a supernatural source. It's not available on earth, only from God. So what do the materialists, those who do not believe in another realm, in the spiritual realm, but those who don't believe in God, what, what do they do then? They just have to work out through science and through different laws and, and what they've done in the past, try trying and to, trying to, trying to work it out. So they were right about that. It's these, the answer is not available in, in the natural realm. In the material realm. So, so, what a real dilemma these people face, these expert faces. They dodge and weave, trying to buy some more time. But the king wasn't buying it. His response a second time was You're all going to die. I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. How is that? Okay. Now you can go to your class. So... That's what they do. That's what they did in those days. And... and, uh, The inept, the the useless, the incompetent. What do we do with incompetent today? We promote them. We put them in in positions of of leadership. Wasn't it someone that said everybody rises to their level of incompetence? It's the Peter principle, I think. That we promote them, we make them leaders. So, but but Nebuchadnezzar ordered all his wise men to be put to death. A number that would have been in their hundreds. He was going to wipe the slate clean we're going to start again. Unfortunately, it also included Daniel and his friends. Why them? Because as apprentices, they they were were concluding their apprenticeship or they just finished their apprenticeship and they fit the category of the, the wise men of Babylon. So the executioners came for them as well. Everybody gets caught up when there's persecution. But now we come to a settled Daniel, verses 14 to 23. But we're going to read from verses 14 to 18, a settled Daniel. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from God to the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And I think Daniel's reaction here, what happened here, actually gives us some very good pointers some some very good things to follow through and we face a crisis what are we to do firstly self control when daniel heard about this this death sentence that was pronounced which included him and his friends he didn't run away he didn't panic They were all in turmoil. But Daniel, he was calm. He was composed. Even though his life was on the line, he keeps it together. This is a man for a crisis because he had this amazing confidence in the sovereignty of God. That's what faith looks like. Yes, peace and self-control are fruits of the spirit, and and, and it's, when is it best displayed? It's best displayed need that under pressure, because peace and self-control when things are going well, what? Why do you need that, right? It's when the pressure that's going to be shown. So, firstly, self-control. Secondly, courage. Daniel's composure is followed up with wisdom and tact. As he engaged in conversation with the guy who's probably coming with a with a sword in his hand, the executioner named Ariok. And and with wisdom and tact, he arranges, he gets Ariok to arrange an audience with the king. It's amazing really what, what, what happens here because instead of killing Daniel. Daniel gets a pass to go see the king. And when he gets an audience with Nebuchadnezzar, he asks, Daniel asks for the same thing that the wise men had asked before. What was that? That was for time. Can you give us more time, please? And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, you're not. you've got no more time. Daniel asks for time and guess what? He gets it. Why? Because God was rewarding his courage. It's crucial. Thirdly, and this is crucial, prayer, verses 17 to 18. Daniel went back after he'd seen the king. He goes back and talks to his friends. They were facing the same predicament that he was. And, and the good news is that the king gave them this, with this extra time. They weren't going to waste it. They weren't going to sit around and talk about it like the rest of the astrologers and everybody else. They started to pray. The magicians, the diviners, they had no place to go to. Daniel has somewhere, someone to go to. It was God. The Lord of heaven and earth and he was going to go to him the Babylonians might have studied about the heavens but they didn't know the God of heaven and Daniel's confidence certainly wasn't in his own ability though, though he was very wise, in the previous chapter we saw that his friends were wise, there was no one like them in the rest of Babylon but they didn't trust that they trusted in God Right throughout the Bible, there is a common theme that God's people, God's servants, God's children are people of prayer, greatly dependent on God, for He alone is able to do the impossible. Let's not only learn from them but let's do what the bible says let's let's when god invites us to come to him we should listen to him and go to him in prayer with whatever situation we're facing and fourthly there is praise verses 19 to 23 during the night the, the, the mystery was revealed to daniel in a vision then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes the times and the seasons. He deposes the kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and Light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I asked you, what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now, next week we're going to look at the interpretation And Daniel could have gone straight to the interpretation of the dream which he had just received overnight. But he doesn't do that. Daniel goes into praise mode. No, 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 I want to know what the answer is. No, we're going to praise God. He does this because he's marvelling at God's goodness in answering his prayer. He thanked God for the revelation of both the dream and the interpretation. It was, it was, it was both, you know, to both, do both things. And in this praise we have the themes that will be developed right in the, in the rest of the book of Daniel. From the narrative to the, to the prophecies, this theme is developed. He praises God for God's wisdom and power. He praises God, the God of history. He controls history. And then when he says the God of my ancestors, he reminds us of God's nearness to his people. Despite God's people and their unfaithfulness, their sinfulness, God will remain faithful. He will keep his promises despite our wickedness. And as we will see next week, while Daniel got the answer he wanted, pretty sure it's a message that Nebuchadnezzar is not going to want to hear. It, it, may not, it, it may not be a, as blunt uh, a message that Nebuchadnezzar is going to receive in Daniel chapter 4, but it's, but it's blunt enough. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty direct. And, and the message is this. If you are losing, Nebuchadnezzar, if you are losing sleep over your kingdom, I've got news for you. You're right. (laughs) Your kingdom's not going to last. A little stone uncut by human hands is going to bring it crashing to the ground and there is nothing you can do about it. I think this is a message not just for emperors. I think it's a message for all all of mankind. And it takes a lifetime to learn, doesn't it? All our little dreams about setting up our own little kingdoms, being self-independent, self-reliant, all these things that we work so hard to save and build and, and then to preserve, right? get insurance and uh, try to build this cocoon around it because this is ours, this is mine. Guess what? You're going to have to surrender it sooner or later. It's much easier to surrender it now into the hands of God. The sovereign Lord who owns it all. Lord, this is yours. Help me be a good steward in the meantime because I know that I can't take it with me. Uh, I want to give it. I want to give it to you for your eternal kingdom. And for this reason, our Lord, the ancient of days, the one who was, is and is to come, is worthy of honour, glory and power and praise forever and ever. Amen.